What a joy it is to be back. Uh, Two years to the Sunday that I last uh, stood up here. I got to remember how to do this, not fall off the stage. Took me an hour to get the microphone down my back and up and through and on. But hey, we're here this morning and what a delight. Debbie and I love this church. We, uh, we've had an opportunity to worship in a lot of churches over the last two years out in Springfield with our son and uh, north side of Indianapolis with her mom and a uh, church we attend in Florida when we're down there. But uh, boy, our hearts are here. And, and, you know, we love this church for several reasons. First of all, you guys love God. You love God and his word. Uh, there's no higher recommendation of a church that I can think of than that. And then you love each other. I see that in so many different ways. And, and uh, even in Second Saturday, just the love of the group as we serve is such a, a thing to behold in small groups and all of that. And, and, and you, love, you love what God loves, and that's the world. You, you love people in this community. And I have seen that time and time again. Of course, Second Saturday is a concrete example of that, but many, many, many others. So uh, we certainly love. And I, I, I love this series that we're doing, uh, Words from the Hill, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I have learned so much uh, from our pastors up here teaching us, and, and what, a, what a wonderful uh, body of Scripture to take our time to walk through together. And so that has been really, really good. I don't know if any of you got one of these, but I got this um, this is my personal prayer rug. Uh, it came from a church mailing, uh, a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, first of all, I think it's pretty chintzy as a rug. It's a piece of very thin paper. It's got a picture of Jesus. He's got a tear coming down one eye, and he looks very Anglo to me. He's got a cr- crown of thorns on, but with this uh, official Martin-only prayer rug that I got... Uh, came three pages of instructions. And, um, you know, you got to place it on the, on the ground here. And I forget whether you face east or west with this one, but then you're supposed to kneel on it. Well, my mother would slap me silly for putting my knees on Jesus's face, particularly when he's got something in his eye. And, he's, he, and if, you can't, if you can't get down and kneel if you're too old, then you're supposed to sit down and rub Jesus's face on your knees. And then you fill out a thing and you send it back into them because this is your personal prayer rug. But when you send, you got to send this and you don't open the sealed envelope that's inside there that has a personal prophecy for you until you've put your knees on Jesus' face. And then you pop it all back together in a, a postage paid envelope and you send it back to this very old church in Tulsa except the return address is in South Carolina and the pastor lives in a million dollar home in Arizona. But in... <laughs> In any case, I never knew praying could be so complicated. I, I, I never knew it could be so hard. You know, you and I both know this is a scam to get me to send them money, right? And the reason it works is because I think a lot of people are very confused about praying and very dissatisfied with their own prayers, so they're thinking, by golly, if I can put my knees on Jesus' face and send it to some church down and wherever, then they'll pray for me and I'll get what I want. In fact, they said one lady got $56,000. And, you know, we'd take half that. The reason this works is because we misunderstand what prayer is. 
So here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, words from the hill, and we're told that Jesus is on a hillside and he sits down, and the crowd is stretched out before him, and his disciples are close by, and he begins to teach them. When we get to chapter 6, he now turns his attention to the three most uh, common spiritual activities of the Jewish people, giving of alms, prayer, and then uh, the third one is uh, um, fasting. Now, we're going to take them in a little different order than they appear here in chapter 6, but in each one, in verse 1, it tells us the, the central theme. The central theme is this, do not practice your righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now, earlier in chapter 5, Jesus told us that we were to uh, make sure that we did our deeds before men in a way that they would glorify heaven. So that's good, where they glorify heaven, glorify our Father in heaven. But this is talking about something different. This is talking about putting on the show, right? And so he turns his attention to prayer, and he says to the crowd, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. We all know who those guys are, right? Pharisees, teachers of the law. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Jesus goes on, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the hypocrites. He goes on. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, or give us today, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how we should pray. Let's ask the Father for some help with this one. Pray with me. Father, um, Jesus has taught us how to pray. In fact, in Luke 11, uh, Jesus repeats uh, nearly identical words when one of the disciples asked him to teach us how to pray. And so, God, we want to do this for your honor and glory. So 
Help us as we walk through the text. Help us to allow your word to speak to our hearts. And may you receive all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, Matthew chapter 6. Hope you have your Bibles. If you do, I really want to encourage you to open it up and to look at this. I've also got a bulletin uh, insert for notes in there. You ought to look at that. Uh, it'll help you see where I'm deviating from the notes, if nothing else, okay? Uh, but it should help you put uh, some of this in uh, perspective. And then uh, there's also in your bulletin that you'll need a little bit later a, a little sheet that has what we have termed the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer on there. We're going to be using that a little bit later. So Jesus begins by giving us two examples about how not to pray. The first way of not to pray is to pray like the Pharisee or the, the hypocrites. Uh, the Greek word hypocrite comes from the Greek theater, and it means a, a, a play actor. It's somebody who puts on the show. He comes out and he, he portrays something that he really isn't, or she portrays a, a character that she really isn't, but it's acting. And Jesus says, don't be like the actors, the spiritual actors, for they love to pray. Isn't that a good thing? So what's the problem? What's the problem? They love to pray. Hello? What's the problem here? They love to pray. Isn't that a good thing? It's the audience that they're praying to, isn't it? They love to pray to be seen by others. They, 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 they love to be seen. In fact, scholars tell us that the Pharisees were so into this that, you know, there were specific periods in the day when the Jews were called to pray, uh, much like Muslims are today. And there would be a ram's horn that would announce the hour of prayer, uh, like three in the afternoon or something like that. So a, a Pharisee that really wanted to put on the show would, would be in a back alley checking his watch to say, you know, three, two, one. And he starts to walk out to make sure he's in the busiest intersection of town. And up the call to prayer. Well, when the call to prayer happens, you're not allowed to go anywhere else. You have to stand right where you are to pray. How convenient. So there he is in his, in his Sabbath finest, and he's, he's standing so that everybody can see him, and he's praying. And Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray for everyone else to see. First problem is the wrong audience, right? We pray to an audience of one, and that's God himself. Our prayer time ought to be uh, emanating out of our personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and it ought to be about me and him, you and your father. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not a show. Now, I'm not against public prayers, <laughs> right? I, I did a bunch of those in my time, right? And I'm not even against written public prayers because sometimes those can be really articulate and really help me zero in. But the bottom line is we pray to our Father. We don't pray for the benefit of others, especially our own egos, right? So there's a problem with the wrong audience, but there's also a wrong reward. Jesus is very clear. I tell you the truth. 
They have received, check the tense, past tense, they have already received their reward in full. That's all they're going to get. The most they can hope for is that for some deluded soul to watch them standing on the street corner or, or in the synagogue and go, wow, is that cool? That, that's it. That's all they're going to get. Whereas Jesus constantly tells us that our Heavenly Father wants to reward us personally, both here on earth and in heaven. So Jesus has a corrective for us, right? He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Where's your, where's your room? Uh, I remember uh, years ago, people talked about their prayer closets because the word here seems to indicate maybe a storage room because in a Jewish uh, average Jewish house of that era, the only room in the house that had a door was the pantry to keep the critters out, you know, kind of thing. And so, uh, a lot of people see that you need to be in a closet. You know where my, my room is? It's the front porch of my barn. Uh, it doesn't have any doors, but it, 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 when I get up generally before the rest of the family, and I get out there, and the sun's coming up over the east. It's just me and my Lord, and we're praying. Your, your, your room can be anything. It can be your car driving to work. It can be your work cubicle if you have some privacy there. It can be a tractor. It can be a, a cab of a truck. Wherever you find yourself that you can be alone and, and praying, to your father could be your room. Uh, Debbie and I were up in Holmes County, and we uh, saw an old friend of ours by the name of Dan Yoder. We've known Dan for a number of years, and he's Amish, but he's a believer. There's nothing better. There is nothing better than an Amish man that loves Jesus. I'm telling you. Anyway, he said as a young boy, he remembers his grandmother. She, she you know, uh, Amish live in a cluster of houses on the same farm, right? So multiple generations. He says he could remember his grandmother when he was a small boy, and they would see her walking her way up the hill, away from the house, into the back pasture, up into a high pasture where the sheep were, and up there was a sheep uh, shed. And they'd see her go up there, open the gate, go into the pasture, go into the sheep shed, and close the door. And everybody knew what she was doing. He said she would get on her knees, in, in whatever was there, right? And she would lift her family before the Lord. And he says, I am convinced that my life was radically altered in faith because my grandmother prayed in her room. So we all have rooms, right? You need to find yours and that's to close the door. Well, my, my, my room, as I said, doesn't have a door. What Jesus is saying is you've got to find a way to shut everything else out. First off, turn your phone off, right? I never take my phone to the, to the porch. I do not need the distractions. I, I have enough distraction right up here. I don't need any more. Close the door. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. Find a place where it's just you and your Father so that you can pray. 
Jesus makes a promise too, doesn't he? He says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will, what? Will reward you. He will answer your prayers. And, and more than that, for me, is that one day when you stand before him, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you prayed and you spoke to him. Now remember, prayer is just conversation with God. We sometimes make it really complicated and add prayer rugs and funny things like that to it. All you have to do is talk to your Father in heaven. Jesus goes on and says, don't pray like the pagans. Uh, the, the Greek word there for uh, babble, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Um, it, it's really hard to translate. In fact, it's found nowhere else in the New Testament and nowhere else in classical Greek literature. And uh, they believe it's a uh, uh, onomatopoetic word. That is a word that sounds like what it describes, like hee-haw. You know, hee-haw tells us what a brain donkey sounds like. Well, I can't pronounce it in Greek, but it's like, you know, it's babbling. It's just going on forever. Don't be like the pagans and just keep pouring out words like God's a slot machine and you're just, or a vending machine. That's a better illustration for a pastor, don't you think? Uh, uh, Now you know what we've been doing the last two years. No, don't go there. Like a vending machine where we just keep pouring more words in at God until he finally gives us what we want. Don't, keep, don't do that, Jesus said. Uh, it, can be, it can mean a multitude of words, volume of words, or there's a possibility that means that they go through every known deity name until they hit the jackpot. Every pagan deity that they can think of, they just keep shooting names of God out until bingo, they hit the right one. I think what Jesus is saying here is don't let the pagan culture influence you in how you pray. For example, don't pray to the man upstairs. Because I don't know where that comes from. It doesn't come from the Bible. God's not a man. He's not upstairs. He's the God of the universe. He's higher than we are. He deserves our adoration and our worship. We'll get to that in a minute. But when we pray, we pray to the God of the universe, the king of all time and eternity. So often our culture influences us and we dumb God down and we treat God as something common. Good old boy. But he's much, much more than that. So Jesus says, don't, don't, don't compromise your understanding of God. It's interesting, the first group, the hypocrites, they love the wrong thing, right? They love the praise and adoration of men. The second group, they think the wrong thing. They have a poor understanding of who God is. Jesus said, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. But we should still ask. You know, we as parents or grandparents, we may know what our kids or our grandkids want, but isn't it nice to be asked? Isn't it just nice for them to say, hey, I need a little help here? 
That's, that's our Father. He knows what you need, and he knows, he knows the solution to your dilemmas. But it's still important that we ask. And if you do, your Father will see what you do in secret, that is your secret prayer, your quiet time alone with him. He'll see that, and he will reward you. And then Jesus says, this then... This, then, is how you should pray. We've given this little prayer that Jesus offers, the name, the Lord's Prayer. It's not in the Bible. It was added. It's a handy title when we're needing to refer to this. It occurs here, and in Luke 11, and in Luke 11, it refers to, I think, as I said earlier, or prayed earlier, actually, that that one of the disciples said, teach us how to pray. The, word is, the wording is almost identical with a couple little uh, uh, changes. But it tells us one thing, that Jesus did not mean this to be a, a memorized, wrote, repeated, word-for-word prayer as much as he meant it to be an outline to help us pray effectively. This, then, is how you should pray. A couple things to note. First of all, notice the word how. It's not Jesus saying this is what you should pray. This is how you should pray. And then second of all, did you notice in the prayer the repeated use of the plural pronoun? He's our Father. It's our sins. It's our uh, daily bread. It's our debts and our debtors. You know, I think what Jesus is doing here, because he's the one offering this, is is he's saying two things. First of all, my father is your father. And uh, more importantly, I think from my perspective, is that then by extension, my father is also your father. So when I pray, our father in heaven, I'm praying in the community of faith. I'm, I'm not just praying about me. You, you see that? Uh, when I pray, uh, give us this day, or give, today, give us today, I've memorized this thing in too many translations. Give us today our daily bread. It's, it's, it's just ex- by extension that I'm also praying for your daily needs. What's going on in your life? It's not just about me getting up going, give me, 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 like the pagans. It's, it's our Father, our needs, our debts, our debtors. It's us together. It's not just about Martin. And so, our Father gives us both the relational aspect. We're related to him. He has called us his children. By adoption, he's invited us through Jesus Christ into a personal relationship with him. And by the way, if, if that's not taking place in your life, this prayer is not going to be real helpful to you. Okay, it starts with a relationship with God through Jesus, where we confess our sins and we determine that we can no longer uh, lead our own lives productively for God, that we failed in so many ways, and we ask Him to become Lord of our lives. Then this prayer does make sense. It's relational. He is our Father. But notice what Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed 
Funny word, isn't it? Hallowed be your name. It means to be revered. This first part of the prayer reminds us that every, every prayer ought to begin with worship. That, that, it, 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 that we start with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That you are to be revered above all else in my life. That you're to be honored. That you are holy. That you're glorious. That you are the king of the world and king of my heart. He goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The problem with this in English is it's too, it, it rhymes. Have you ever noticed that? Your kingdom come, your will be done. <laughs> it just kind of a real sing-songy thing. You just zip through that baby in no time and be on to the next section without having to even think about it. But what I want to encourage you to do is memorize the Lord's Prayer and slow down. Your kingdom come. One of the greatest desires of our hearts as believers is that God's kingdom will come here on earth. That's more important than what we're going to have for lunch today. It's more important than what our kids will major in in college. It's more important than any other thing is that the kingdom will come and that will happen at a point in history when God says, I thought it was a dog running by at first. <laughs> Little black furry thing went by me. See, bifocals can mess with you, I'm telling you. <laughs> Gosh, now where was I? God says that if we will humble ourselves and pray, your kingdom come, it must mean that his will will be done in my life today. You see, when we slow it down, now I have to, I have to wrestle in prayer with God's will. Not my will, but his will to be done today in my life. First I begin by worshiping, and then I get to the sticky section that says, now I have to start submitting my will to his. In fact, I want to submit my will to his just like the angels in heaven submit to him. Can you imagine Gabriel saying to God, I'll get with that Mary gal in a couple weeks. I've got a term paper due. Can, can you imagine any angel saying to God when God gives the command that they go, can I get back with you on that? You see, the prayer is, I want to respond to God's will as quickly and as uh, expeditiously as the angels in heaven. That we jump at his command. That we plunge forward in faith as he calls us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Just like it is in heaven. He goes on. The third part, we finally get to our needs. You notice that? Needs are not the first thing we pray about. But how often we first start there. God says, worship me first. Submit your will to my will. And then let's get to your needs. It's the shortest part of the prayer. Did you also notice that? Give us today our daily bread. That's it. 
Now, I'm not saying we limit ourselves to that. It's the invitation for us to bring our daily needs to God and our daily needs to God, as I said earlier. It's, it's us. That we now have the opportunity to list before God the things that our hearts are concerned about and our needs. I'll tell you the thing uh, that I want to point out is that this word give me, <laughs> give us today, is not the way your grandchildren speak to you or your children speak to you. It has the sense of thanksgiving. Give us today as you always have given to us. It's this understanding that God always provides for us. And this is just one more day for me to bring my needs before a Father in heaven that I trust explicitly with my life and my needs. Give us today should have a sense of thanksgiving with it. He goes on. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I need to tell you as a kid, like third grade, I think, is when they, they uh, made us memorize this in Sunday school when I was a kid kind of thing. And uh, the first problem was uh, I wasn't clear what debtor was, you know. I knew I had some financial thing, and I thought, good night, I didn't put enough in the plate during the Sunday school offering, you know, now I'm in debt to God for 20 cents. The second thing is, have you ever been in a public gathering where this prayer is being offered, and we come to this part, and we're all going, is it going to be debtors, trespass, or sin? We don't know which word the guy on the platform is going to use, and we're going, ah. And so you come to that part, and it's all, we always mumble through it, and forgive us, our and, and we go on. Uh, the word debtor, Jesus chose very carefully, and it's recorded faithfully for us. He uses the word sin in Luke, though, again, because this is not a set of magic words. He's trying to get a point across. He uses two different words to do it. Uh, the point is, though, that we are indebted to God because of our sins, right? We are moral debtors. Jesus gave his life on the cross. We can never repay it. We are in debt to God for his grace and his mercy in our lives. Forgive us our debts to you, God, even as we forgive our debtors. Look at verses 14 and 15 that finish out this passage. When I was quoting it for you earlier, I, I decided to leave that off so we could visit it now. If you have any questions about what the debts and debtor thing means, look at 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see how intertwined our forgiveness is with our extension of forgiveness? And that's why we should pray about it. How many of you find forgiving people easy? <laughs> I want to meet you. Uh, I, just this week, I've been praying about a person that I have had trouble forgiving for a number of years. Because it's hard. Right? It's hard. That's why we pray about it. That's why we pray about it every day. Forgive us what we've done to offend you over the last 24 hours, Lord, 
and bring to our own memory those people that we've yet to forgive. And help us do that, is what Jesus is saying here. Then the last, the fifth section, if you will, of uh, this model prayer outline that we should be using. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Most modern translations prefer the evil one. Uh, that's what I prefer. It makes, it makes the most sense. You know what? This is, uh, well, first of all, I'm getting ahead of myself. On lead us not in temptation, uh, let's take a look at James chapter 1, verses 13 and 15 on the screen. Um, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his or her own evil desire he or she is dragged away and enticed. Okay, so God does not tempt us. So what then does this phrase mean, and lead us not into temptation? It essentially means, God, you know that I'm prone to wonder, uh, the song that we sang in the first service. You know that my sinful tendency is to move away from you and to pursue the temptations that the evil one brings to me. God, don't let me go there. Help me to alter my course. Give me strength, Father, so that I will be led into paths of righteousness. Lead us not into temptation is a prayer request to say, God, Help me to avoid the things that lead me away from you. And then the second part, and, uh, and deliver us from the evil one, reminds us, this whole section here, reminds us that every day is a spiritual battle. We, we sometimes forget that. That there is an enemy of our souls, his name is Satan, and every day he seeks to distract you or deter you from following the will of God. And as parents and grandparents, we pray for our children and our grandchildren that they may not be led in that way. So we pray, God, do not lead them. Do not let them go into the way of the path of temptation, but deliver them from the evil one. Our prayer ought to be this wrestling with God, knowing that there's a spiritual war going on around us and that we are willing to battle on our knees for the souls of our children and grandchildren. So what this is not is a magic prayer. This is not a prayer that if you memorize the words and just recite, uh, regurgitate them each Sunday that everything will go well with your life. I believe with all my heart what it is is a prayer worth memorizing because it forms a wonderful outline for us in each of our daily prayers. It reminds us, it keeps, for me, it keeps me structured. Have you ever had trouble with praying and your mind's just gone all over the place? After your fourth cup of coffee, you're trying to pray? You know, kind of thing? It gives a structure. It, it helps me to, to work my way through the Lord's Prayer and give me these five areas that I ought to be praying about every day. And it keeps me in balance. Where, where do needs appear again in this prayer? In the middle. 
that my worship of God ought to come first. My submission to his will ought to be second. Then my needs ought to come in there. That spiritual warfare is in fact a reality and that I ought to be doing it in the name of Christ. And that I ought to be forgiving other people and asking God to forgive me. So I'm going to encourage you to do a couple things. Uh, you, you, found, you found the little sheet that has the, the, those words on it that we call the Lord's Prayer. Well, somebody asked me in first service, well, what about, and thine is the kingdom, and they started singing, you know, the whole thing for me. And I said, well, um, that obviously is not in the oldest manuscripts. It must have been added uh, at a very early point in the history of the church as they prayed this prayer together. They added that doxology. Uh, so that's why I'm not covering it this morning, but you can add it to your prayer. It's all good, okay? It's, it's wonderful. But I want to encourage you to memorize this so that as you pray, you can pray your way through the Lord's Prayer. And I want to encourage you to do it for the next seven days. After that, you're on your own. But I want, I want you to take a week and pray the Lord's Prayer and use it as your outline to pray to your Father and see if it doesn't help you stay focused in your time of prayer and stay balanced in your time of prayer. Now to close, because my clock says minus 2.30, which means I'm two minutes and 30 seconds over my allotted time. No, actually, they gave me five minutes of grace. Yeah, don't, don't abuse it, Martin. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to say the phrase. You're going to repeat the phrase, and then we're going to go quiet. And I may insert a few things to just kind of jog us to pray the content, our own personal content of that part of the outline of the prayer, okay? So if you'll bow your heads with me, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Repeat it. Father, above all else, we want to worship you. We want, to, we want to note that, Father, above all else, you are worthy of our praise, that you, your name is holy and to be revered, to be, to be uh, thought of as something special and wholly unique. So, God, we worship you now as the only true God in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Redeemer and King. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, this is the toughest part of the prayer. As we need to now and daily submit our wills to yours to humble ourselves before you and respond to your commands and to your instructions with a heart that wants to follow Jesus all the days of our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Father, you already know our needs. But we place those needs before you right now. And we ask that through your mercy, your grace, and your power, that you would meet those needs, both in us as well as those around us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, we, we know that we are truly indebted to you. But like the unmerciful servant in Matthew 17, so often we come to you for mercy and we're so hesitant to extend it to others. Father, forgive us. We truly repent of that. We ask that your spirit would help us to correct that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, a battle rages, and you've seen the devastating effects of that in the lives of believers over the centuries. Father God, it is our prayer that you would lead us into paths of righteousness for your namesake. And that you protect us from Satan himself and his evil angels that seek to destroy our lives spiritually and physically and in every way. God, deliver us from him and preserve us for yourself. Father, I pray for these believers. I pray that this prayer would now come alive to them as a means to help them stay focused and balanced in their own time of prayer and that they would give their hearts to you over and over as they say these wonderful words. For your glory and for your glory alone, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.